Welcome to the Point Noted Podcast with your host, Johnny B, and co-host who shows up whenever he wants to, former NFL player, Rashad Barksdale. It's raw, unfiltered, and no topic is off-limit. We talk sports, entertainment, culture, and a whole lot of random shit. Let's get to the point. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Point on the Podcast, and I'm your host, Johnny B. And today we have a special guest in the house. I am talking to Jess Scarani, and she's running for Senate in Delaware. Hey, Jessica, how are you? Johnny, can I stop you and just say my name <laughs> differently? Absolutely. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead. I should have said it beforehand. <laughs> it's um, Scarane. Scarane. Yeah. Okay. So, Jess Scarane. All right. I like that sound. I, listen, yeah. it's. I I had expectations I was going to butcher it, but... I know, it's um, so common. So, <laughs> right. I'm glad you corrected it, so it's Karen. So for the rest yeah. of this um, conversation, I should be able to uh, say it the right way. Yeah. Right. So, all right. So how are you doing today? No problem. I'm good. I'm so grateful that you invited me on. Absolutely. Thanks for making the time to join us. Um you know, we're not the big guys, but you know, we are we are out here trying to make a make a difference as well. Yeah, and you know, every so. every show, every podcast, YouTube channel, whatever, they all have their own audience, and I think Absolutely. it's important to have a, as many conversations as we can with Absolutely. different groups of people. And and you know, I always end up coming out of these things learning things as well, and I think that's incredibly valuable. Oh, it's very nice, very nice. Um, so you are running. Uh, in the state of Delaware, what got you into um into wanting to run? What how did you come to that decision to run? Yeah, well, I think I say a lot that it's both a decision that I came to over a long period of time, and and then kind of quickly. Um, you know, I've I've lived in the state of Delaware for ten years, mm-hmm. and I I grew up in this in upstate New York, but I met my husband who's from Delaware in college, and and we decided to to build our lives here, okay. and. When I got here, one of the very first things I, I tried to do was to, to build some community, to find some community to, that I can be a part of and, and help give back. So I focused right. on volunteering and I focus on volunteering um, in education and in tutoring and mentoring and um, focusing on teaching third graders and helping them with their reading. After I did that work, I joined another nonprofit that's focused on advancing you know, the, the rights of women and girls in our, in our mm-hmm. state, in our country and delivering right. programming to girls who come from, you know, under-resourced neighborhoods to ensure that they're getting the education that they deserve and the confidence that they deserve to face the world. And I, mm-hmm. I joined the board of that organization. And what I, I think what it was so difference making for those experiences is that it gave me an opportunity to see that when you give people the individual attention that they need when you find out specifically what is this what is holding back this student or this person and you give them that attention right. and you fill that gap for them they can absolutely mm-hmm. flourish but that happens absolutely. so rarely right now like we see this attempts at one size fits all when it comes to education when it comes to our social services and i started to want to say a lot of girls are coming through the door and they're getting this programming and we're helping them, but there's always another girl ready to come through the door because we're not mm. addressing the fact that those neighborhoods are still under-resourced, that they're still seeing right. trauma every day, right. that there's still right. so much gun violence in their neighborhoods. So I started really wanting to affect that, the root causes of these issues, rather than treating the symptoms that we see. So that was right. sort of the change that right. was building in me over over time. and. What really flipped the switch for me was knowing that I had a really strong team behind me, like kind of a group of people that came together to say, we know how to do this and we can do this. And I'm running against, you know, our current senator, Senator Coons and Chris Coons, Coons, who continually made decisions to vote for and confirm Donald Trump's extreme judges who are going to roll back women's rights and civil rights. He has confirmed Trump cabinet members who are currently, you know, the, the health and human service sec- secretary who he 
lobbied for, encouraged other Democrats to vote for, has completely mm. failed us in his response to our current public health crisis. And right. that that unwillingness to stand up for democratic values and instead constantly focusing on how can I compromise with the Republican Party and these right-wing extremists without taking into account who that compromise really hurts, that those are the things that really pushed me over the edge and got me into this race. Because mm. I really believe that in the wealthiest country in the world, there's just absolutely no reason to have people struggling the way that they are. Yeah, too selfish, right? Our government yeah. uh, as a whole, we're too selfish. Because if you're yeah. doing well, why do you care about somebody else, right? That's that's exactly why we are where we are, I think, with a lot of things with economics and uh, uh, racial injustice, all mm -hmm. these things, because if it doesn't affect me, well, you know, I, I don't care. You, you on your right. own. So, right. um, and, and, we'll, and we'll get into the racial issues, but uh, you mentioned, you know, like the health, health cares and health services. Mm -hmm. Do you think we have a chance of eventually getting the Medicare for all? Is that, I think we have is, to. Is that Okay. I, I, I absolutely that? think we have to because we are we have such a broken system right now. We are throwing at money at it to pay a middleman, a private insurer, to make a decision about whether we get the health care that our doctor says we need. That's our current mm. system. And it's completely dysfunctional and it's failing us. You know, we are losing people's people are dying because they can't get adequate health care. And we know how to solve that problem. We know that a single payer system where it's not about access, it's not about insurance, it's not about giving you care based on what you can pay. It's simply about giving you the care that you need. That's that will me, save right. lives and it will save money. So it is, it's not only a, you know, a moral argument here. It's, it's also a pragmatic economic argument that mm. we need to make this investment in ourselves, in our country, because I don't believe that we can call ourselves a free, wealthy, functioning country if we can't keep our people safe and healthy. Right. And and, and a lot of arguments is, because I have a lot of friends and fans that would tweet or text and say, hey, but how are we going to pay for it? I don't want my taxes to go up. So I think the biggest issue we have is, uh, you know, we don't understand exactly what does that mean. Like, are my taxes going up? Yeah. Am I seeing less on my paycheck? How do we pay for this? Um, so what do you say to folks that that are concerned about their taxes going up if we do Medicare mm -hmm. for all? Mm -hmm. And also, what is like what is stopping that from being an actual bill? Like, why, why do we not yeah. have Medicare for all? Like, what is stopping that? Yeah. Well, to start with the first question, or the second question, actually, why, why are we right. not there yet? I mm -hmm. think one of the biggest barriers to it is the amount of people that we need to vote on it who are taking money from insurance companies and the lobbies that they fund and pharmaceutical companies who obviously don't want to see this change. So we right. have a, a so we have corrupted Congress, politicians. Exactly. We have Congress who's full of people who are influenced by the dollars that they take during the campaign season. And money, money. Exactly. And that is why oh, the newest slate of progressive candidates who are running are absolutely refusing that money because they recognize the influence that it buys those corporate interests and they don't want to be beholden to it. So I think it's a it's mm. a big issue around getting money out of politics or at the very least electing people who refuse to take that money. Um, mm. The the part about how we're going to pay for it. I. I usually just st stop and say, we're already paying for it. When right. I have to pay $500 a month to mm. simply insure myself and my husband, we're paying for it. I'm not getting right, any are. care for that. That right. $500 a month, $6,000 a year that I spend, I get absolutely no health care for. Because right. when I go right. to the doctor, I still have a deductible that I have to meet. I have to pay for that. I still have to pay for prescriptions. All, like, I get discounts maybe, but I don't get any actual care for that money. So mm. we're already paying for our health care. Right. And every study that comes out says that Medicare for all will actually save us money as a whole. It'll save $450 right. billion every year because we're going to cut out 
this middleman. We're going to cut out these profits and the the rationing that they do to say, oh, we have to make sure that we still have a profit margin built in here. We have to make sure that we can still give ourselves bonuses and pay dividends to our shareholders. That's where our money is going right now. So when we change that system and that structure, that money can be used more effectively. It can be deployed to actually give us care and we'll spend less in, in, as a result. Right. So what about those that say, well, it's a free economy, it's a free market, uh, it's a capitalism society. If we do that, then we're taking it with jobs and business is going to go under uh, because then the private insurance no longer can make this money. Because if we just start doing a Medicare for all, then like you said, we're saving 450 million a billion, I believe, million mm-hmm. a year. We're taking that away from somebody else's business. What do you say to those? Yeah, well, I think one big important thing is that the bill for Medicare for All needs to include a transition period. So ensuring that we do take care of workers and we help them find jobs or we transition them to government jobs. Like there's still going to be administrative jobs that are necessary. There's still Mm. going to be that work that needs to be done. We're simply saying that that work should not be done for profit to simply enrich shareholders. Right. And I'm sorry right. if you hear my dog who's yeah, dog himself is right now. Dog. <laughs> Hopefully dogs are welcome on this podcast. So I apologize. No. But no, that's that's, there, there will still be jobs that will need to mm. be done. They will be done not with the intention of making profit, but in delivering people care. Right. Um, and the other part is, I really think we have to break away from the idea that just because we do something right now means we have to continue doing it because that starts to apply to all of the things that we're talking about. When we start talking about climate change, like we can't simply say that because there are people who work in oil fields that we have to continue drilling. We have to say, how do we take care of those workers and transition them and ensure that their salaries are replaced and, and they're taken care of so that we can right. move forward and move on. But we, I believe it's incredibly important to actually bake that transition in because if we don't, and let's say that the oil market just completely crashes and these companies mm. start going under, those workers are not going to be taken care of at all. They will be the right. first people to suffer. So we can actually be proactive about it and say, we're going to make sure that you're you're kept whole. We're going to make sure that you find another job. And we're going to make sure that it's a job that isn't going to harm our planet and ourselves and our health. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that that would help. So for those who don't understand it, hopefully that just cleared up a little bit for them. Uh, and understanding that, you know, you are already paying for it. Uh, and it, it's honestly just better. It's better for everybody, better for you, better for your parents, better for your relatives. Uh, I think if we, if we take the selfishness out of it, Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I understand that it is it is the right way to go. So I would definitely have to agree with you on that. Yeah. Um, so well, I think you know, the just, point there. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm just going to say, like, no, go ahead, go ahead. your point earlier about how people we've become a little more selfish, and people are sort of concerned about like, am I taken care of? Then it doesn't right. matter what else mm-hmm. is happening to somebody else. Like, there's a little yep. bit of that in the healthcare system because you get the you'll get people who say, well, I have good insurance. So why mm-hmm. should I want to change? And I want to change. Well, the problem with that is you could lose that insurance at any moment. You know, 40 million right. people who just lost their jobs unexpectedly are dealing with that right now. The other problem with that is, is that even good insurance is not as good as Medicare for all. Because even good insurance, it's still a, rationing the care that you get. It's still something that you have to interact with if the bills are wrong, if you need to um, fight back against a, a claim or a mis, mis billing. So it, even when you have good insurance, it's still taking energy and time out of your life that's completely unnecessary. And it could just be that you go to the doctor and you get the care that you need and you go home and you live a healthy life. Right, right, absolutely, absolutely. Um, let me ask you this, going back to, uh, to the state level, uh, you run there, you know, you have Chris Kuhn out there and you mentioned him always signing everything the president puts out there. It is good for the people or not. So how's your campaign doing fighting against a guy like that? Obviously he's got the, he's got the money. He's got the back, uh, the backup of a more bigger powerful support. How are you guys doing in fighting that and making your voice hard a little more louder uh, so you can get more people behind you? Yeah. So 
we have been doing that since day one of this campaign. We are in the field, like on the ground, knocking on people's doors from the very first week that we launched this campaign because we recognize that when you are going against someone who has more money than you and has incumbency and name recognition, that's it's an uphill battle, right? But Mm -hmm. we have the platform that people believe in. Like we have the policy on our side. We have the fact that we are fighting for people and can have the conversation with them about here's how you actually value the lives of people over profits of corporations. And here's how the things that I want to fight for will actually improve your life. You know, talking to a woman who pays $600 a month for her health insurance, even though she only makes $40,000 a year, I can tell her directly how her life is going to be better. Right. So we have that on our side. We, and, and there are, I would say that the Delawareans that we have talked to, and now we've talked to thousands of Delawareans through our canvassing and, and phone banking work, are much more progressive than our representation would indicate. Mm. You know, there was a poll done a couple years ago that polled interest in a single-payer healthcare system, as well as, I believe, things like legalizing marijuana, and mm-hmm. they were overwhelmingly things that people supported. 60% or more of people in our state supported. And those weren't just Democrats. That was nonpartisan polling. Yet we have representatives who stand against Medicare for all. Senator Kuhn says we can't legalize marijuana because we need to do more studies into how it affects the brain. So we have representation that's standing. (laughs) We know how it affects the brain. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I mean, I mean, how, and, and how can you make that argument when you've, we've legalized medicinal, Right. And exactly. So how can you there. possibly say that this this is something that continues needs continuing studies? But that's just a delay tactic, and we know that. Of obviously. course, and, I, and right, and I don't understand that at all. It's you know what's what's the delay? It, and it's one of those things along with, and I know you're in support of decriminalizing sex work as well. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big and I'm a big fan of that because I think we should just legalize it and control it. Uh, and that's the same thing with um, legalizing marijuana. Just legalize it. And control it, uh, right. so that way we can keep it safe and clean. Right. Um, so I, I, I never understood how some state has it, and some exactly. don't. Exactly, and it's a real. You know, we spend billions of dollars enforcing marijuana laws and mm-hmm. arresting people and ticketing them and and putting people in jail when we could actually be creating a multi-billion-dollar industry around it. So mm-hmm. it is completely backwards what we do when it comes to marijuana, but. This is a perfect example of how our representatives in Senator Coons stand against the will of the people. Right. So I, I think that we have made we have made um, such an impact on people by actually fighting for the things that they already believe in. And the work that we're doing, like we are phone banking nine hours a day, every single day, ever since um, we can't go canvassing anymore during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. And we're getting quite a bit of positive support on the phones because people recognize that we can have a better world. They particularly recognize it in, re- in response to this pandemic. You know, they, they see that if we had the policies that I'm saying we need to fight for in place already, people would be in a much better place. If we had universal health care, if we had universal sick leave, if we had things like basic income, like a stronger social safety net, then mm-hmm. we wouldn't have so many people who are falling through the cracks on a regular normal time, which is you know, unacceptable as it is. And we wouldn't have so many people who were feeling completely unstable during this public health crisis. That's unfortunately right. also turning into an economic crisis. It is. It really is. And, you know, they always say uh, money is the root of all evil. And I like to counter that by saying, no, the lack of money, you know, is the root of all evil, getting too much money. Because if you look at it, you know, when you elect the officials and, and they get into position of power, then they change from, I'm working for the people, I'm here to make change. Because like you said, once money starts getting in your pocket, then your vote and your conscience and how you lean when you vote changes towards the money. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, so that goes on to- who you hear from, right? Like who, right. who influences you? You can't deny that the people who you surround yourself with influence you. And mm-hmm. when you are taking corporate money, that's who you're spending your time with as well. And, and it, it, 
I think it really, we see how it clouds the vision of a lot of our representatives where they don't seem to have a perspective on what it means to get to the end of the month without enough money to pay all your bills. And you have to make decisions between food and rent and medications and the things that you, you need every single one of them, but you right. have to and make decisions. Exactly. Right. And that's the problem where you are too out of touch with uh, the bottoms, right? The bottom, the bottom of the, uh, of, of the right of the hierarchy mm-hmm. uh, where when you're way up there at the top, where, like you say, you don't have to struggle for food or water or paying your bills. And you have the bottom feeders that are there and, you know, even getting the twelve hundred dollars that it was supposed to get, it's oh, not enough, but no. it's better than nothing. So, I just think we just don't we don't care about the little guys because we always focus on what's around us and who's helping us, mm-hmm. uh, and we abandon the ones in the middle, in the bottom. But if you think about it this way, right? So, the median age for United States about mid thirties, and then elected officials, the median age for Congress, I believe, is about sixty. So. That has to change, right? Mm-hmm. Which is why I ask you, what do you think about term limits? Like, should you be getting elected uh, and then getting to spend 20, 30 plus years, you know, as a senator, or as a congressman, or should that be about a maybe 11 years, 12 years max? You have to get out of there, right? What do you think? So term limits are actually something that I am not a fan of. Because what I think could actually end up happening is that we could end up term limiting out people who are doing good work for the people. That's a good point. That's true. I think we think about them in the context of the world that we're in right now, where it feels like Mm -hmm. the vast majority of people who've held office for so long are not working in the interest of the people. But I think that we could enact something like that and then harm ourselves down the road if we elect people who are actually there and putting people over profit. So I try to focus more on the money and politics aspect because if you're doing a good job and Mm -hmm. your, your constituents want you to stay in that job, like I'm okay with that. But I think that we are in a, I think we could affect more change and get more, get more representatives in office who actually will do the work that we need if we focused on ensuring that elections are publicly funded and that there isn't this corporate um, influence of money. Because really since that has, things have really gotten worse in our country since that has taken over. And I think that's the issue to really focus on. But you're right that age is certainly, I think, an issue. I think what we've Mm -hmm. seen is that there are a lot of people who have been in power for a long time and held on to that power and and failed to build up the next class of okay. the next generation. And that's right. really where I think the failure is. Like it, it should be about how do you use the power of the seat that you're holding to recruit new candidates, to mm. ensure that we're not just letting people who aren't acting in the best interest of their constituents sit in seats. And I think right. that's what's happened a lot. Um, and I think we have to make sure that like we don't – I think pro- like things like primaries should be encouraged. Um, right. You know, the, some people push back on that and they get really worried that like you're going to harm the eventual nominee. If Even if you lose, you're going to have brought up all this bad stuff about the nominee. And it's like this is the democratic process. This is how we ensure right. we have the strongest nominee. And yeah, this absolutely. is how we ensure that the people in our state or whatever the jurisdiction is are represented by someone who shares their beliefs. So. Right. That's where I usually end up. It's I think I'm, I'm more focused on like how do we get the right how do people we in there get, and get money out get of there. Get people right. in there, get money out of there, and right. you know I think that will solve a lot of our problems. And if I'm yeah. wrong, then maybe we could talk about term limits later. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I, I definitely I love your reasoning on that. Um, I, I I guess I look at it as you know uh, every almost everything else is a term limit. Uh, yeah. you know, the most most powerful position. You know, you get eight years max and you're out of there. I guess I feel like those Congress and senators as well, they they should get, you know, maybe another, uh, at the most, get two two presidents that runs two full terms. And I think mm-hmm. after that, you should make enough changes that someone else can come in. Because then if you are corrupted, which when you've been there for a long time, most of the folks that are in there for a long time are corrupted. So I guess that's what I'm looking at. Yeah. When I look at, you know, I look at Graham and McConnell and I'm like, this they have so much power. They're just being mute and just being just basically just use this sounds alone to kind of support what the president is doing. And I have yeah. a problem with that because I think they should be speaking out. 
uh, yeah. a little more. No, you're right there. And I think that also goes back to not maybe not so much in the Senate where it's a statewide, but when, like when you're talking about Congress people, how mm-hmm. are when you end up with situations where their districts get redrawn in a way that makes it virtually impossible right. for them to ever lose when, right. you know, th- there are there are a lot of things that I think go into the ability for someone to sit in a seat, even though they're not delivering for their constituents. Um, and I think those are those are almost the, the places where I see wanting, where I want to focus first. Right. Right. And we'll focus on that because it's, it's on, on the show today. It's about you. So let's focus on that. <laughs> <laughs> None about my rambling wishes and desires yeah, from the government. Like I said, I, I love I love hearing people's perspectives because yeah. it's always I think anybody anytime you're shutting totally down and and not listening is you're not you're not doing a good job as a candidate or a representative. Very true. Thank you for saying that. Um, so some of the issues that you're running behind, I really love some of this stuff, and I know a lot of candidates are doing the same. Uh, the universal health care, the equitable uh, education, the housing rights. The climate, uh, economic justice. I love the uh, mass incarceration, uh, the yeah. racial injustice, the LGBT. I mean, this is great, and I know the people are going to jump behind you. Uh, they're going to be all for it. Uh, so I'll give you two questions in this. Is uh, you know, just go ahead and tell about your platform uh, and some of these things that's important to you that you're running behind and why it's important and why people need to jump on board with you based on these things. Uh, as well as uh, let's talk about what's going on right now, like yeah. the state of our current union. Because uh, this goes into uh, one of your issues that you support here, which is racial justice, mm-hmm. is uh, how do we fix how do we fix the separation and divisiveness that we have between citizens and, and the police department? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So starting with the kind of key parts of my platform, the right. you know you, you you listed a lot of them, and there I, I care very deeply about all of them, and I but I do think I we have about. Uh, what's the count on there? Like, I think there's like 14 or 15 like key issues. So I, I usually try to focus on a handful or so. And those are really universal healthcare. Like I said at the mm-hmm. top, like I, we need it. It's not a debate for me. Absolutely. Um, something that, I, a couple of things that I focus on that I think a lot of other candidates don't as much are equitable education. So mm. this is incredibly relevant in a state like Delaware. Like we have really unequal schools. We have a, what's called a choice program where parents can choose to put their kid in a school, either in a a different school in the same district or into a different district that really has been used predominantly by whiter and wealthier families to choose their kids into a quote unquote better school and has led to a lot of segregation in our schools. We still have segregated schools in Delaware. Wow, I didn't know that. No, I mean, it's it's not by law rule, right? But it's done effectively because of the way that people are allowed to move their kids around or people will pull their kids out and put them into a charter or they'll pull them out and they'll put right. them into a private school rather than go into our neighborhood schools. And that's led to defunding of a lot of schools and it's led to a lot of neighborhoods and communities kind of collapsing when they lose those schools. You know, and we have a a governor right now who's actually um, fighting in court, defending the position that they don't need to deliver a a guaranteeing education to disabled students. So, like, we Mm. are in a place where we're we're being sued because of the failure to deliver disabled students adequate education. So our schools in our state need a lot of help. And I think the problem here is that the federal government has really fallen down when it comes to education. We don't give enough funding from the federal level and we leave it to the states. And then the states have to rely on really one tool or, you know, taxes, but predominantly property taxes, which are inherently unequal. So we're going to end up with unequal school districts. So I really think that that needs to be an issue that we talk about more at the federal level. And, and housing is the other one that I don't hear as much from from other people. Like I com- I absolutely believe that housing is a right and we should be guaranteeing housing to every single person in this country. I talk a right. lot about how the estimates to end homelessness, we, the estimate is that it'll cost $20 billion. Well, okay. $20 billion is what we added to the Donald Trump's military budget at the end of the last fiscal year without anybody batting an eyelash without anybody asking where it's coming from or how we're going to pay for it. And mm. th- so this is what I'm talking about, like when it comes to priorities 
And I think we absolutely need to invest more heavily in federal housing programs, um, passing tenants' bills of rights so that tenants have more rights in their relationship with a landlord and ensuring that everyone has stable housing. The other ones that I talk about primarily are combating climate change. I believe we have to sign on to a Green New Deal and completely transform our energy system and end our dependence on fossil fuels and include a federal jobs guarantee in that bill so that we can put to work um, anyone who needs a job doing the work that we need to do to rebuild our infrastructure in our country. Right. And then the the last two are really economic justice. I, no one in this country should be too poor to live, and yet far too many people are right now. Mm. And I believe we need to raise the minimum wage to at least $15 an hour and then right. tie those increases to increased in cost of living or inflation so that we don't have to keep having this debate every 10 years or however long it takes for it to come up again. Like People who mm-hmm. make minimum wage should not be falling behind. Um, we need paid universal paid leave and sick leave. And I really am a big supporter of expansion of unions or worker co-ops so that we encourage democracy in the workplace, not just in our government. Like, I believe that that needs to be a more democratic space as well to ensure that, you know, workers are getting the fair share of the productivity that they create and that it's not taken by bosses and shareholders. Right. And the, the last piece really, you know, it's, it's kind of timely right now, but ending mass incarceration and ending punitive justice. I think that we need to decarcerate. Um, we need to decriminalize a lot of things, a lot of things that a are considered. Things, right. Yeah. Like petty, petty things. Yeah. Petty things. Exactly. Things that are nonviolent, things that are really just make it make, create more ways for people to potentially interact with police rather than, Sorry, hold on one second. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Um, Yeah, so there are far too many reasons right now that cops can stop people. And I think we have seen how that results in escalation. You know, when you get, when you see things like people getting pulled over for a taillight and it ends up a police shooting. And they end up dead. Right. Like that is and, and, and the pullover is not but the pullover is not the problem though, is it? Is is the interaction that follows the pullover, right? Because that's, I don't have a problem being pulled over over a broken taillight since that's part of the law. But I think the problem is the way we interact, right? Isn't that it? Yeah, I think like, that's part of it. But I also think like what's what's the real harm in what do you really need to pull over somebody for a broken taillight for? Can you track can you grab can you get their license plate? And send them a ticket or send them some yeah. sort of summons to say get this fixed. Like they, I think that we, I think there are ways that we need to look at what. I think we have to reimagine what policing is, frankly. Right. And right. I think that this idea that you know, the idea that police exist to kind of protect and serve our communities has really never proven itself to be true. Um, yeah, when they're always on the edge. So. It, yeah, and it's much, it historically and continues to be much more about controlling certain low income or blacker and browner populations and not th- those, those neighborhoods, those, those communities do not feel protected. They feel surveilled. They feel right. um, watched and constantly harassed. Mm. And that is the exact type of thing that we need to be changing. And I really think that it's interesting how in light of, you know, the last couple of weeks with Ahmaud Arbery and Breonna Taylor right. and George Floyd, how the conversation is really shifting and people are not calling for body cameras and accountability. They're saying defund these departments because they don't deserve the dollars and the investment that they're getting. Because mm. what we actually see is that the, co- the neighborhoods that have the least crime are the neighborhoods that have the most resources. Right. Like there's not a correlation between policing and crime going down. We see that in the city of Wilmington where I live and here in Delaware, there was a study that was done last year and Wilmington is spending more per capita on policing than any other city that was in the study. However, 
we don't have good outcomes. Our, the, the crime has actually increased as our spending has increased. So what yeah. does that tell you? It tells you that investing in policing doesn't actually lower crime because we're not addressing root cause issues. When you right. defund the schools in these neighborhoods, when you don't give any sort of community, when you defund the community centers, I mean, these are the things like I talk to people when you canvass in the east side of Wilmington, it's almost impossible to go a shift without talking to someone who's been affected by gun violence, either because they lost a son or a father or a husband or a cousin, whatever it might be. And they are called, they call for the things that they know will make this better. And it's not more policing. It's actual investments in their communities, like they, like the schools, like the community right. centers and right. like having actual job prospects and wages that you can actually survive on because who can fault, you know, I talked to a guy once and he's like, who can fault one of these teenagers from selling drugs or getting involved in that, in selling drugs when the other option is to make 925 at McDonald's. Like if you really need to support your family or yourself, or maybe you help your mom with the rent, like you don't see any sort of economic hope from the jobs that are available to you. So right. how can you actually invest in these communities? Well, you can do it by saying they deserve more than living under a police state. And I think that is the conversation we need to be having right now. We have to be talking about demilitarizing the police, the equipment that the police have. I mean, we have we have local police departments that have military grade weapons, military grade like tanks, and yet we can't make sure that our kids have textbooks that are up to date in school. We're in the middle right. of a public we're, health, we're... health crisis and we can't get protective equipment to doctors. Like, what are we doing? So priorities is definitely not what it should be. Exactly. So I, I really believe in, in demilitarization from the stance of like taking that equipment away. It doesn't belong there. It, right. it clearly has an effect much like we were talking about before with like the people you surround yourself with that it, it influences you when you give a police department military grade weapons and equipment mm -hmm. clearly it results in them thinking they are an occupying force in the communities that right. they are meant to serve and right. that is what is leading to these escalations and this violence like seeing them seeing themselves as you know punishers of these communities not protectors and not not being not being there to keep people safe they're being they're there right. to find, to try to st like catch crime but it, it does not it, we've shown, shown it doesn't work it, like i said in our city like it hasn't decreased crime at all right and and i, and I think one of the issues that we have in um is the fact that we can't get we can't get a sit down, right? I feel like we need a sit down between the police, uh, police department, and just the citizens, right? The black community, mm -hmm. the minority mm -hmm. community. Just let's sit down and just look at them and look at each other and say, okay, why do you hate us? Why are you afraid of us? Why do you have to be extra aggressive? Why are you killing people? Why are you mm -hmm. shooting? I think we need to have these conversations. And then, because honestly, there's something there that I think we can't learn from the police department because they won't tell us about it, right? right. Exactly oh, why, right? Like, are you teaching these tactics, or are these guys just, you know, these guys just have hatred and aggression in the, you know, uh, yeah, inside of them that they're just carrying it out? I mean, there are there are consultants who exist who were either former military troops or whatever their background is, military backgrounds, who now have made jobs as consultants, consulting police departments, telling people how you take this militaristic attitude into the neighborhoods that you are policing. So, right. you know, but you would never know if your city police department has engaged one of those consultants because none of that is transparent. Mm -hmm. And I really right. think we so have we to think about like, it has to be a budgetary conversation too. You know, like yeah. I really think that particularly for elected officials, that's the power they hold. They can make decisions about where, the public money goes. It goes, right. And 
can we restrict can we put in place like a restriction that says no you can't use any of these public funds to buy these weapons of war and these vehicles of war i mean we have just last night like these i saw i I was out protesting earlier in the day i wasn't out at night so i only saw video at night but these massive like armored vehicles that were just pulled out running up and down the main drag of our downtown area with police and riot gear. And how is that not an escalation? Like just by being there, just by looking, you're escalating the situation. And I really just don't see, I don't see what function the police deliver that requires that type of vehicle or that type of equipment. And I think it should be taken away. The money. And right. The money is there. So they're using it. That's what yeah, it is. Right. You have, exactly. a, you have too much money and you feel like you have to spend it so you can get more next year. So you start buying all these extra, exactly. uh, all these extra warfare weapons right. that you don't need to police. So, and the federal government uh, started giving grants so that they could buy it. But to our point earlier, like you, that's just enriching the same military and defense contractors that are paying to keep the same people in office. Like it's all mm-hmm. sort of same game over and over. And what we're failing to to actually act on is how does this affect people's lives? And in a lot of cases, it affects people's lives by taking their lives. And there's there's just no excuse for it to continue. And I I'm looking at this moment we're in right now with hope that we can go beyond conversation and that we can actually go to action. And then and and I'm hearing it more. We're hearing demilitarization. We're hearing um, decriminalization. And the other thing that I talk about a lot is what are the alternatives to police when it comes to an emergency response? Because mm. in, in Wilmington, the vast majority of 911 calls are domestic issues. Right. That Especially would be better served by, time, right? Yeah. And that would be better served by a social worker or a counselor. So how do we expand the idea of who a first responder is or an emergency responder is? Because a police officer is not equipped with the psychological and sociological tools to handle right. those situations. And, and that's another place where you see these escalations happen regularly. They're not equipped to, to respond to mental health crises. Like just earlier this year in Milford, Delaware, a man who was having a mental health breakdown called the cops and when they responded he was dead within minutes and he was calling for help but the response was to kill him mm. so i i think a lot of people are really getting to the point where they're like what does what function are we asking police to serve right. and how do we actually <laughs> how are we getting clearer about that's a good, that's a good that? point that is and, that's a good question a good point Right, uh, and I don't think we have a an answer to it right now. Wait, what was that? And I just don't think we have a good answer to it right now. We don't. I mean, we we keep saying protect and serve, but I mean, and obviously it's not all of them, but it's too many bad apples. And 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 the other problem I have with them is, you know, everybody keeps saying we're well, not all cops are bad. What the good ones are not speaking out, right? You know, well, so if you're not speaking out, then how do we know where you stand? No, exactly. I mean, you want to like? I think the the example of what happened to George Floyd is so indicative of it. Yes. Was there only one person who had his knee on his neck? Sure. But were there four other people standing there and not pulling right. that cop off of him and saying, this is not what we do. Right. And no one's got anything wrong with that. That's the problem. And, it, and if that's the, if that's the culture that exists, if that's, the again this lack of transparency this lack of accountability like how do you how do you how do you really change that without saying we're going to take away some of the ta- the tactics you can use the tools you can use and the jurisdiction right. that you have because right. right now it has become it is completely i believe in a lot of places out of control and people feel like they live in a police state and I can't blame them for that. You know, I, I talked to a man last weekend on a phone bank who basically was just like, how am I supposed to, how do I look around the world right now and feel like I'm, I'm a full citizen in this country? 
and and because when he says he's like seeing he seeing black people like him that are regularly beaten or killed by the state like mm-hmm. and the thing is that arresting one cop is just not going to solve that problem like arresting the, right. the guy who killed George Floyd is not going to solve that problem no no we're not even near not even close and and people you know, all, it does, all it does is solve justice right it, it might, maybe it's maybe it's justice for that one right incident and, and maybe i mean arresting him is much different than sentencing or, or trying them and finding them guilty and sentencing and but but it doesn't change any of the system and it and i think it perpetuates the idea that it's just a couple bad apples rather than having the conversation about what is policing for in our country and what do we actually need to equip officers with to do that work because to do that work do they like should a beat cop be walking around with a gun on his hip I don't know, but I feel like it escalates situations. I, I, I would, I think that's a conversation we should have. You know, I was, as I mentioned, I, I joined the, the protest, the Black Lives Matter Wilmington protest that was happening here yesterday, and we marched through the city and we, we marched onto I ninety five and we blocked I ninety five. And, you know, because like that. That was you. The, that the, was you. I, I was there. I'm not saying I left. No, I'm, <laughs> I know my, my role in that was not to be the leader that day, but right. I I was... You was there showing support, and that's important. And exactly, and it's important, and I was there to make sure that, like, you know, we look out for each other and that I can use myself as a barrier if the cops show up, if, if that's what people right. want. And at one point, the state troopers did show up, and and you see, you know, they they send the one, the one black trooper to the front to talk to everyone. Mm. Of course. And of course. And all, he's the only one that's there. Everyone else is white and hanging back. But the second line of troopers, so they was basically the one came forward, he was talking to the group. There was a line of their massive, you know, blacked out trooper SUVs. And then right behind those SUVs was a line of about four troopers, all holding long guns, like automatic rifles, standing there with these guns. And I went up to them to ask, like, well, why? Did, what was the protocol for bringing that gun out? Because we're a couple hundred people just doing a peaceful protest, a peaceful march, a civil disobedience. What makes you think that this gun needs to be pulled out right now? Like, how is that an adequate response if you're not, unless you're simply trying to intimidate people and, and remind them of the power that you have to take their life at any moment? Right. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, listen, so before we wrap this show up, uh, it's been fun. And for those that are listening, so just actually, you don't have your website listed on your Twitter, Twitter profile. Uh, so if anybody want to then find you, um, I got my request, but I can tell you that you can find (laughs) just for com If you're looking to learn more about me or the platform I'm running on. Absolutely. So that's just for Delaware.com. Go to the website, check out the platform she's running on, donate what you can. You can volunteer from whatever city or state you are. Yes. Uh, you know, so these candidates are running people fund a campaign, which means they don't have a lot of money. Mm-hmm. So, you know, me myself, I might donate a million dollars after this, but I don't oh, think perfect. I can. Uh, you know, a little <laughs> bit of a campaign finance violation, a little, a little <laughs> headache to my husband, who's our treasurer, but. <laughs> right, 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 exactly. So. No, but, uh, but yeah, so, go ahead. Volunteering is incredibly helpful too. I mean, like I said, we've moved to a totally um, phone bank based campaign right now until we can Mm -hmm. feel safe going back out, which we just, we're not there yet, given how, especially the fact that, you know, a lot of our volunteers don't have health insurance themselves. We don't want to get them sick. Um, So phone banking is our, our biggest way of contacting voters right now. And you can do that from anywhere. So you can just go to justfordelaware.com slash volunteer to sign up and talk to Delawareans. I've heard from a lot of people from other states that talking to Delawareans is great. There were, the, apparently Delawareans are much nicer than voters in other states. So, right. so we have a lot of great conversations every day. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's awesome, man. Um, so tell the people um, something fun they don't know about you. Let's say music. What do you listen to? Oh God. I listen to a lot of um, like, <laughs> what's called shoegaze music or like indie music i know i'm like 
I, I'm out there. I listened to a lot of bands that were like popular in like the late 90s and early 2000s who made a kind of sad indie music. Okay. All right. We're going to have to check that out. We're going to have to check no, that out. Be like, I don't know about this. <laughs> Maybe yeah. so. All right. So what about TV shows? What are you watching? TV? All right. What am I watching right now? I, I, um, I got to pick up Dead to Me again which was like Dead a Netflix show that was pretty good. So okay. like, a, like a new season that just came out. So I got to pick that back up. Mm. Um, and then my husband and I started rewatching The Wire. Uh, wow. What got you guys into looking that again? What got you guys into that? Uh, that's a great question. It's like, it's one of those things we like go back to every like five years. Yeah. Like, um, I think we, we actually started watching the, um, the season that happens at the at the port, so I think it's season two. Um, okay. And I wonder if that's just maybe a little bit of influence of uh, wanting to fight for better labor rights and <laughs> and yeah, worker yep. really centered uh, season. So I wonder if that's mm-hmm. a little bit of uh, what got it into our yeah. minds. Yeah, no, that's a great show. I haven't. I think I've seen it twice. Uh, right now, I just restarted uh, Game of Thrones for the hundred times. Uh, you know, I've uh, not seen any of that. <laughs> oh my goodness, you are definitely uh, you are missing out. I know, I don't, I like don't yeah. watch a lot of TV, and then I have to like try to talk well, to good coworkers, thing. and I'm like, "What are you guys talking about?" And they're like, "Oh, some show you also don't watch." I'm like, "Dang." You probably don't watch, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, eventually you'll catch up on. I'm sure. Maybe your next vacation, you yeah get a chance exactly. to catch up on some TV yeah. shows. That'll be great. So, uh, but yeah. No, hey, Jess, listen, thanks for coming by. We really appreciate Thank it. You. Thanks for taking your time out. Yeah, thanks so much for the time. I appreciate it. Take care. Absolutely. You too. You've been listening to The Point Noted Podcast with Johnny B and Rashad B. Follow us on Twitter at PT Noted and Instagram at Point Noted. Hit the subscribe and follow button to follow us and check out more episodes of us talking a whole bunch of shit. You've been noted.